And I didn't come into it for liturgy and for raiment and for ceremony. Yeah. That bores me silly. Putting on silly white dresses with things around your neck makes yeah. you feel more distant from people. Mm. It makes them feel more distant from you. Yeah. You're just authority and power. Well, what's that about? I didn't yeah. come in for that. I came in to be mobile, to get closer to what needed to be gotten close to. Hey, welcome to the Older and Wiser podcast. You're joined by your hosts, Hannah and Harrison, and this is part two of our conversations with George Davies. If you haven't yet listened to part one, make sure you go to the episode before this to provide a bit of context about what we talk about today. What I particularly liked about our conversations today with George were the alternate perspectives from a reverend and how he seemed to always be at ends with authority. Yeah, you'll hear later on in this episode where we specifically discuss that, I want to say, clash with church authority. It was great for me to listen to George speak because as a Christian myself, I think I've struggled with the same kind of um, clashes in terms of how I think things should be done. And to clarify, what I'm referring to is when people in churches, rather than doing things out of love, um, it becomes more about a kind of control for them and doing so in the name of religion. So yeah, George is a very interesting guy and I think we need more Georges in the world. Let's hear what he has to say. This is part two of George Davies. George, welcome to the show. Good day. Thank you for being here. <laughs> um, how are you today? I'm fabulous, but I'll get over it. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up the fact that you were glad that you were on the other side of the gate. Was that? Or did you say gate? I can't remember. The grill. Oh, the grill. Yeah, that's that's the one, yeah. <laughs> Big steel were... grill swinging across. Yes. Because it was closing time for the Central Methodist Mission. Yes. So you're, you're glad you're on the other side of the grill. Can yeah. you explain that a bit more? Well, free to be where people are when they are. To get alongside, to be uninhibited by rules and regulations that stop you being close to somebody or groups of people or doing things that are creative with those people or groups of people. Authority stuff that comes from a couple of kilometres up in the sky and is not close and doesn't understand, that's understandable if they're in a distant place but often they don't want to understand. I'm interested in the concept of speaking truth to power, which makes me ask why is power often, so often, so distant from truth? That's mm. the problem. Yeah. The power 
is not close to truth. We have to keep taking truth to power. We shouldn't have to. So from my Christian background, I see God in Jesus, if that's one way of looking at everything, as being truth and close together. That's why I like the person of Jesus. Mm. Truth and power were the same. (laughs) Yeah. That's, um, I guess that also explains why, how you were saying that you liked going into the communities and letting the people come to you instead of making decisions from afar. Yeah, to get close, to be where people are rather than a big sign and a big, loud things saying come to where I am or my ceremony is no you go to where they are physically and psychologically and get close to where their thinking is at as well as where their activity is at and in that process uh, demonstrate that you want to know not in order to have power over them but because you believe they are worthwhile as persons mm. and that message seems to connect it comes over in subtle ways it's not just verbal mush it's not a sign it's it's the way you conduct yourself and try to spend time and listen in particular listen and as I said to my boss man some years ago, we so-called Christians are very big on the mouth, uh, need to do more with the eyes and ears and yeah. understand and mm. then know what to say. But it may not be to those persons. I like the New Testament, one where Jesus came across this woman taken in adultery and they were saying, she's terrible, and they were standing around ready to cast the stones. So Jesus bent down and scribbled on the ground. What was he doing scribbling on the ground? I think he was picking up the vibes. He was listening to the the, the attacking voices. Mm. But when he stood up, he didn't address the woman who was the great criminal. He addressed the accusers. Mm, yeah. And he said, okay, if you're without sin cast your stone and they all went home the old ones first and then he had a conversation with her <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly it isn't it yeah. so that's uh, and a key example you know, with indigenous to jump into it was in Perth we had a talk about young people in the city this is in the late 70s. Maureen Munro of the Anglican suggested the churches get together. The YMCA and Rotary joined in and some others. It wasn't just churches. We had a big chat. And I suggested detached work. So we had a bunch of people spent two years hanging around, being in town for those who were in town but not mm. shopping in town to, to be as a place to be young ones in particular issues. And when we came together two years later and formed the Perth Inner City Youth Service, there was a suggestion from a hairdresser who'd been met in a talk to an Anglican congregation, Adrian the hairdresser in William Street. He had a couple of rooms vacant behind him. And we started a drop-in centre. 
because young people said they came to town and they met at Hungry Jack's, but they'd be asked, are you being, are you ordering? And if you're not ordering, you can't sit here and there was nowhere to come from different suburbs mm. and meet your friends. Mm. So the idea of having a centre, a drop-in centre, was great. Now, for 18 months, that was white young people in the main, and then the Noongars came in a big bunch, mm. as you do if you're a Noongar. The mob is safety. And all the whiteies pretty well moved off, except the youth worker volunteers. And it became a Noongar Adindige venue, and absolutely fantastic. But after seven years, I got the letter from the federal government saying the program under which you were funded, of course, we got money from the Department of Aboriginal Affairs for rent. This uh, program called Special Projects is being disbanded and we suggest you uh, submit for an employment project because Bob Hawke was all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Yeah. Well, that, they wanted us to silkscreen T-shirts on a Friday night. So an absolutely fantastic venue for young Aboriginal people and young adult Aboriginal people was shut down without consultation, without communication, without evaluation, with a silly focus on jobs. My respect for Bob Hawke went down the plug hole. <laughs> mm. Oh, it wasn't Bob. Maybe his administration. Well, he was the head man of all that palaver about jobs, jobs. What about relationships, Bob? Mm. What about being job ready? We talk about yeah. education, but what about being education ready? These things are much more basic, we found out, from being closer and listening. Yeah. And the most alienated, wild young people whose view was, you don't care about us to society, so why should we care about you? So mm. we can steal from your cars and rob your shops and whatever. But if they get a message that they are connected, mm. they stop doing that. They did with us. They become loyal and mm. committed and friends, and, and deeply supportive. Yeah. So um, after the drop-in centre was shut down, yeah. what do you think was the consequence of that for those young Indigenous people? Well, they would still hang around in town, but then Peg and I were doing uh, waste education, recycling things on Australia Day night down at the... Supreme Court Gardens and we worked till 11 o'clock and sorted the bins and lots of the recycle bins had rubbish in them that wasn't recycled. We did all that work. We come up to town and we're at the railway station at about half past 11 and there are mm. two big buses and, I, and a whole lot of police. And I say, what are these two big connected buses? Is this a, a police drop-in centre? And they said, no, we're going around town to collect the riffraff and, and uh, we get about 20, there'll be more, but we fill up two buses. and <laughs> So they would go in and on horseback yeah. round up people at midnight mm. and put them in the buses and herd them out to the suburbs to some depot where they work out something to do. Yeah. And we give all these, we have all these welcomes to country so I listen to Welcome to Country and I respect the people that do the Welcome to Country. 
But we go into what we accept as their country when we supposedly sit there and smile during the welcome for country and the dancing and the smoking ceremony. And then we go into what is their country and hunt them out. Now, still, we do it. Yeah. Mm. We are rocked in self-contradiction. Just to clarify, when you saw those buses, it was was all Indigenous no, the buses were empty. They were about to go oh. off on their task. But oh, yeah. a huge proportion of those mm, are yeah. hanging around at midnight, yeah. not shopping, but town is where they meet and hang yeah. and yeah. talk. Lots of us whiteies and other non-indig, various persons, we go to town not only to shop, we go in to socialise and sit in the coffee houses and talk. Well, why shouldn't? People do that who don't have money yeah. and, and find they're looking for somewhere to yeah. talk, but they don't have money to sit in the shop. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's like a really big issue right now is yeah. how the um, Western Australian minimum age for people to go to prison is yep. 10 yep. years old. Yep. And it's not a surprise that most I can't remember the percentage exactly, but a significant proportion of 10 to 14-year-old kids in prison are Indigenous. Yep. Well, I agree with that need to raise the age. But what I think is we need to put a lot more energy into going way before the whole prison experience anyway, Mm. whether it's 10 or 14. Because colonialism of 250 years ago or so there's a massive impact on removal of people from country, from family, extended family is ripped apart, yeah. still exists but fragile as, if it exists at all. Um, that consequence of colonialism, colonialism has still a major impact on the disruption of culture mm. and we're not doing enough to get closer to rebuild a sense of connection to country and connection to each other amongst Aboriginal people, Indige First Nations people, so they can feel that they have a culture again. And then the prison population will drop. Yeah. But if we don't understand why they're coming to prison, we're just just distant from the issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think any kids should be in prison at all. Mm. <laughs> I don't. I don't think yeah, kids grow it's not, up. Not a solution for someone that young. Well, the ones that lead us to the paper about the ones who have been moved to Casuarina mm. because they've done terrible things to the rooms they're in. They've destroyed furniture and where they were living, and Pengsi Hill and so on. But but there's roots behind that. Yeah. You don't care about us. Why should we care about you? They're acting out alienation. We have to source the roots of the alienation or we're just wasting time, really. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So is that the kind of work that you were doing back in the day when you were working with young people and Indigenous people? Is that what you were trying to solve? Well, I was getting amongst and finding relationships and then finding issues. Once you find relationships, you find issues. 
So in Condoblin, in the middle of New South Wales, and we started the the folk and blues music joint mm. called The Dungeon. And Koori Aboriginal people turned up in droves. It used to be their old pub. And then the police tried to close us down mm. straight away. And then I got to know them and found that young Aboriginal people in that town would be followed. The police would follow five metres behind simply because it was a young Koori person. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Until they got irritated and turned around and swore at the police officer who got arrested for unseemly words. Mm. So every mm. Thursday there was a bunch of Koori people under charges of unseemly words because they'd sworn at the police because they'd been followed around town all the time. Yeah. So you get close to those issues and you find out. And therefore, you you raise your voice and you try and say stuff, and people see you as some sort of supporter of uh, of uh, naughty people and yeah. so on. You know. Yeah. But I met some beautiful people. Yeah. And John Huckle, who came out of that, is professional muser. I might have mentioned he would have to carry his shoes to the school bus across yeah. the reserve in case his shoes were dusty. He might be taken away. And that was the mid-70s. Yeah. And his mother was that fearful of him being removed. That's not old stories. This is yeah. this is very recent stuff. Yeah. <sighs> and then, so that was condoned. And then, well, Nambucca, it wasn't, it wasn't the indigenous, it was the hippies was seen as some sort of plague. But they were beautiful people, smoking yeah. a bit of dope. <laughs> and the rest of the population was getting pissed yeah. Yeah. on what is the worst drug, which is alcohol. Yeah. So they weren't close. I didn't understand. I didn't want to. All I did was get amongst, listen, learn, and then start defending. Yeah. Good on you, yeah. George. <laughs> I just you couldn't help myself. Like I couldn't help yeah. myself because I got a mouth, and I had the guts thanks to my mum. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good, because I feel like now things aren't getting any better <laughs> from the times that you were um, no. making changes. No, the authorities in the different places that have been distant were different combination in each place. So I didn't feel I was constantly alienating, say, local government or constantly mm. alienating business. Yeah, yeah. But in different places, it was local government, church, police, community against indige, community against hippies, um, federal government. All of those <laughs> yeah. in different places were yeah. the problems of being distant, putting it down, not understanding and not wanting to understand. Yeah. Do you think it's just about power for them or what? Well, that's a good question. Um, mm. Certainly don't, they don't want their power interfered with. Mm. They want to feel they are listened to and in control and make the decisions. But they're too busy in their context of power, perhaps, 
They're too busy keeping their position and yeah. fighting for their faction and looking after their income and working out where their next holiday will be or how to get promoted and be more important. They're not listening to what's going on on the ground mm. enough at all. Yeah, it really seems very hypocritical or counter counterproductive that they would be shutting down what the solution would be. Well, the business community didn't want the cave drop-in centre either, of course. Mm. So when we tried to restart, we got objections from business community and police. Yeah. We had support. We had a special meeting with the minister at the time, a couple of years after, and we'd lobbied. Minister convened a meeting, and government departments were supportive. And all around, but the police officer sitting there said he was against it would bring undesirables into town. Dickhead, mm. they're in town anyway. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. why shouldn't they come to town? Yeah. It's their country, for yeah. heaven's sake. Why yeah. shouldn't they be there? <laughs> yeah, if they're exactly. less alienated, yeah. they'll be less wanting to damage a shop. They just want to have places to go and to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. And World Square would hunt it out and yeah. so on and so forth. Mm. Where um, do they go? <laughs> yeah, but but like not only the constant battle. Not only them, it was young people here in Perth in West Leadville. There were some issues up at the school there's graffiti everywhere. And graffiti on the flower shops nearby here in West Leadville and graffiti all over the school buildings, a special meeting of the PNC, but my wife Peg and I were both on the PNC out two daughters were at school, the primary school, and they talk about graffiti-proof paints and all sorts <laughs> of strategies. So we pop up, myself and Peg, we say, look, we, there's an, another alternative also we could try. Oh, what's that? We could try and meet the people who do the graffiti. Mm. Oh, this was really <laughs> radical. <laughs> So, woman on council <laughs> said, Look, we've got $10,000 sitting there earmarked for youth, hasn't been used yet, so we could afford three months for two detached workers. So, I had a yarn to them and told them what it was about, and they hung around the railway station and the park and yeah. the street corners and the shops, and they found a bunch of people, young people, 20 or so, that were hanging around in the park, but they get moved on from the park. And if they're outside a shop and not shopping, they get moved on from the street corner. And if they went to the railway station, they get moved on from the way they were getting mm. angry with community. So they were putting graffiti everywhere saying, you are dickheads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah. like that So when we met with them yeah. and they discerned that there was – and, the, and the, the flower shop man said he was prepared to have a workshop because he'd been out. We thought business would all be against them. Mm. But this bloke said, oh, I used to be another. We had a workshop for graffiti. Yeah. So he offered his place, but there wasn't time in the limited span of our little project. Uh, but when young people found out that the flower shop man was in favour of a workshop to do creative artwork, mm. all the graffiti disappeared. He used to paint his shop walls every fortnight. Mm. But the graffiti stopped. Yeah. And it stopped in the school. Because we'd related to the people that did it. Yeah. 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 
I mean, how dumb is that, eh? <laughs> it does take us community oh, a long time to understand. Yeah. yeah. So that was the I, every time That's I great. did this stuff, the detached work I'd learned from Trevor Waring in the sixties, it was, and he is always productive. Yeah. But always some conflict with authority. Yeah. And therefore always some deeper loyalty from the people that you're with and defending. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask about the church authority because obviously you're a reverend. Yep. You were a pastor all your life. So it's it's really interesting to me because I've... So I'm a Christian. My parents are Christians. I grew up. Yep. Going to Sunday school and all of that. Yep. And now I still say I'm a Christian. I do yep. believe in God and Jesus and all of that. Yep. But I've realized that I've separated myself a bit from not God, but the church. Yep. And by church, I mean the humans running it yep. and imposing judgments and everything onto yep. other people. And for me, a lot of my friends, a lot of people I know, or even the census that came out recently, yep. really, religion has gone down in Australia, right? And yeah. I'm wondering, is that because the church, in terms of the humans behind it, is is that a reason? Well, I don't know that it has gone down. I think it may be that... Nominal Christianity, which we dedicated fair dinkum true blues, used to call those who were not quite as dinkum and true blue, nominal Christians, who would call themselves Christian on a census, but not really bothering about it much in daily life, aren't bothering to put themselves down as that. So nominal Mm. Christians don't bother to, what does it matter to what we put down? We don't have to put that down. We yeah. can put nothing if we want it. Um, but, and, and societies become more multicultural, more complex, more technology-oriented. We gather together less in uh, relational things. Uh, you walk down the street looking at your phone, not nodding to people, having a chat. Mm. Um, my wife Peg was on her push bike at the intersection the other day and a chap with his phone walked into a bang. Oh, sorry, he said. <laughs> Turned around, still looking at his phone and walked into a telegraph pole. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, but church, I'm thinking of a verse in the beginning of Romans chapter 12 that, that our worship is to do the loving. Romans says that is, that is our worship. And Jesus did his teaching in the street and in houses, mm. not in the synagogue. He got yeah. thrown out of the synagogue. Yeah. Right? And I didn't come into it for liturgy and for raiment and for ceremony. Yeah. That bores me silly. Putting on silly white dresses with things around your neck makes yeah. you feel more distant from people. Mm. It makes them feel more distant from you. Yeah. You're just authority and power. Well, what's that about? I didn't yeah. come in for that. I mean, came in to be mobile, to get closer to what needed to be gotten close to. Um, yeah, just like certainly Jesus Christianity, <laughs> belief in God is uh, seen as a, a, a difficult thing, this huge whole cosmos made by some being. 
But not to believe in God is equally difficult. Mm. This huge, big, amazing cosmos <laughs> appearing. <laughs> so it's not about what is the easier way to understand cosmos and origin of everything. To me, the, the essence of Jesus still is fair dinkum, to be amongst, to be close, to be with, to be alongside and do the loving yeah. across the road. Mm. And that that is worth following. And yeah. I think there's a reality there that is indissoluble. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because I just feel like for Jesus, everything was done out of love, right? And f for me, it felt like things weren't being done out of love anymore. It was more to control people or... For, four or five hundred years ago in Britain... John Wesley, because I was a Methodist minister to start with, and then I became an only church youth worker and so on and so forth. But back in the days of Wesley, there were villages and community. So when John Wesley went to places, they had community, but they didn't have awareness. They didn't have television, magazines, radio, and the travelling itinerant preacher would bring the news of the world and and they'd listen to him for an hour and a half and they'd have stuff to talk about for yeah. the week from this input. Mm. Then four or 500 years later, when we haven't got community, and urbanisation is geographically close together but not connected, mm. we've lost village and tribe or intact tribe, and we still do the same thing. I sit in a heap like the group listening to John Wesley. Yeah. Right. When we've got all, we've got information overload, and we haven't got community. We're stuck in the same model. What nonsense! <laughs> we go to this church building because the church is supposed to be people, not the building. Mm. We go to this church building, and we're geographically close together, looking at the backs of heads. Yeah not talking, and then go in and have a cup of tea and talk superficial pretty well, right, and go home and have lunch. Yeah. And and maybe some people come to the something or other on Wednesday nights, but not many. Yeah. Right? So I say to people, and the Reverend John Mallison, who nominated me to be youth worker over here, a lovely bloke, used to do workshops on small groups. And I remember him at one seminar saying, if you want to give your church a Christmas present, can I suggest a chainsaw? <laughs> Chop the pews into movable seats so we can sit in a group and talk to each other mm. and ask, if I went to a church building with you lot, I wouldn't want to sit behind you looking at the back of your head <laughs> yeah, that's right. and yeah. talk about how you're going to the footy on Saturday over a 15-minute cup of tea. Mm. Want to listen to what's going on in your life that you're prepared to talk to me about? Yeah. And what do you hope for and fear for and what is going on that matters and mm. what can we share and what a interact late, <laughs> for mm. God's sake, literally. <laughs> <laughs> we lost yeah, that literally. value. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we, right. we are dumb. The structures have got way ahead of thinking. Mm. The structures have to be radically changed. So you must have run your churches so much differently than as you were 
Well, I didn't. When I went to church congregations, I would be a bit stuck in the routine. I came right. in, I had to do Sunday services, and they're all there in the picture show pews. Yeah. So I would take the services. But one of the congregation went off one day to one of John Mallison's small group workshops, and he came back enthused about small groups <laughs> and suggested that we stop doing that at least for one Sunday and use the chairs from the hall next door and sit in little groups, sing a couple of hymns, but then sit in little groups and talk to each other. Mm. And we did that. And afterwards I went to people in the little groups, half a dozen little groups we had. Mm. I said, how'd you go? And one woman I talked to, Miss Curley, was in her 80s and she'd been the the venerable mother of the place for decades and <laughs> Miss Curley was just such, you know, the long-term wonderful woman of town and our church. Mm. I said to her, how did you go in the small group? What did you talk about? And she said, oh, I didn't say anything. What I'd say is not important. <laughs> <laughs> that is wow. the tragedy that we'd let that woman go for 10 for decades, thinking that what she thought about and hoped about was not important. Yeah. What kind of church? So that that opened my eyes a lot. Hey! (laughs) And I started to look for ways to bust it up, but it was difficult in that. Yeah. I'd ask questions and things instead of just giving the whole sermon. I'd say, tell me this and what do you think about that? And... uh, but yeah. interesting reactions. Mm. <laughs> but when I when I had my final interview of you before they sacked me as youth worker after twenty two years of doing it, the uh, chairperson of the committee said, "Why don't you go to worship on Sunday mornings?" And I said, "Well, don't call it worship. <laughs> I don't want to sit in a, looking at the back of people's heads." dominated by one person out the front for most of the time. Yeah. I don't call that worship. I want to hear about, pray about, I want to cry about, think about, sing about, laugh about, talk about what I hear from other people. I want to hear and be heard. And perhaps I'm with with Latin America-based Christian communities that meet in homes and, and small groups, right? That was he said. Why don't you go to worship? So I thought I got to tell these dudes. Mm. Now the problem I had was that the chair of that committee was the minister at Florida Uniting that I was not going to for that reason. <laughs> so the committee recommended I be terminated. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. wow. And I was, and but when it came to the synod meeting, the structures had changed. The year before. They, well, it was uh, there was a move that the general secretary of the United Church be called the CEO, and I stood up in the synod. <laughs> I didn't often stand, but I stood up and I did a thing. You know, I said, "Hey, yeah. hang on, we're not a business, we're not a corporation. Mm. For heaven's sake, we're a community." Yeah. CEO's got the whole, and and the vote was said. I won. We stayed general secretary. Uh. But a year later, they gave the general secretary and this the power to hire and fire consultants. Whereas up till then, for two decades or more, the whole synod decided 
who would be consultants. There'd be nominations and they would say, I know. So five people got up and spoke in support of me staying. One bloke said, oh, George, there's life after consultancy as if I was worried about me. I was worried about the work I was doing. Yeah. So there was support in the Synod, but the General Secretary had the power and he Mm. interviewed said, I'm staying with my decision. So he and his mates in town, you know, Mm. the ones that wanted to fire me after two years, but the Synod had kept me there. But now the power structures had changed. Yeah. So I was out. Mm. Is it about power again or people, them not wanting to change their own ways of thinking? I don't know. It's about a mess in their heads, really. Because they bulldust on about the mission of the local congregation. Oh, it's all about mission and about fresh expressions, how we've got to get out there amongst the community and make relationships, right? (laughs) Now, what I was doing and still am with Earthwise Community, which is an incorporated organisation, but that's an evolution, now we're, we're an example of what the church should be doing, but at the time when I got sacked, it wasn't in the discussion yeah. at all. Yeah. So the church is going around in circles trying to work out what it's doing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I suppose it's um, for those people in that power, powerful position, just you know, having their own beliefs and how the church should be run, uh, and imparting tra- and like forcing that to be what well, everyone, in the culture, everyone decides. And they believe in the culture and yeah. they think it used to be a good culture and there'd be in the 50s post war and there wasn't internet and everything and people it was a meeting place and people would would gather and, and enjoy the ceremony of, of the songs. It was a concert. Yeah. 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 But you, you get in a culture of this is what you do. Mm. And they're well-meaning and they do weddings and funerals and all that sort of stuff and pastoral care, visit people in hospital. But continuing a culture that had become a misfit in a changing world where community has been lost and we need to work on connection. And COVID has taught us how important, reminded us, not taught us, how important connection is. Yeah. As if that's a new discovery. Oh. (laughs) We need to be connected to each other because losing it has been traumatic. Mental health skyrocketing. Yeah. With people isolated in houses. Yeah. And nursing homes and so on. (sighs) So what kind of work are you up to these days then? I know you've got your – are you still part of the Perth Inner City Youth? Um, I'm two doors down. Well, I, I'm a member, but I'm not constantly engaged with uh, Perth right. and City Youth Service activity. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter, but I'm, um, some young people from that come up to the Earthwise community. Um, well, what I do, I do three things. There's three zones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first zone is maintenance. Maintenance of me at 84, I've got health issues and I get up later because sleep is interrupted and 
much longer to look after myself and maintenance of mm-hmm. me. But then, and maintenance of this old house, mm-hmm. there's stuff to do all the time. <laughs> but then there's maintenance of a bunch of friends who were isolated in their youth and still are. If your family's been a bit of a disaster, mm-hmm. it doesn't change. You've grown up without those connections. Yeah. And they're quite isolated people in a lot of ways. They ring me up all the time and want me to play chess and have coffee and <laughs> so on. So I'm okay. I'm maintaining me, bits <laughs> of the house and friends. That's the first thing. Yeah. The next phase, the next zone is out and about. So I go off with Peg when she does workshops and I sing songs. I've got a worm song and a food song and a plastic <laughs> food song. Is this workshop at Earthwise? Eh? Is this workshops at Earthwise or where are Peg's workshops? Workshops she does for local government in libraries and places mm. um, on worms and compost and wicking oh. beds and vertical gardens and living in small spaces <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Bunches of community all over the metro. <laughs> she does. And up north as well, I haven't been with her, to Dampier and Roburn where she goes with clean away and does stuff with schools. But when she does at nights and weekends the and sometimes weekdays, the community organisations often, if there's space in the car, often there's so much junk in it I can't fit in with my guitar. The passenger seat has got <laughs> wicking beds and vertical gardens and things in it. But I go and sing my songs. So Can you sing a little bit of the worm song? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> want me to push the pause button and I get the guitar? And yeah, you want it, sure. Want it with the guitar? Yeah. What do you want? A bit of worm song? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we love the great. worm song. <laughs> well, Peg said we need a song about worms, so I said, tell me all about it. She gave me the ingredients and I composted them <laughs> into a song. I was a bit slow, so the worm said, come on, get a wriggle on yours. <laughs> Would you like to start a worm song? Whoops! Would you like to start a worm farm? In your home or where you work? Make garden fertiliser all the day. Somewhere to put your food scraps or other kinds of waste, all recycled in a most productive way. Worms eat food scraps, shredded paper, sandwich bits and peels and cores, veggie scraps and tea bags, coffee grounds as well. Doggy poo and more are yummy for our hungry little worms. Anything that was alive once fits the bill. Help save the world, waste ain't waste at all. Cut back on the landfill, hear the planet calls. If you've got a quiet office, well the worms won't mind at all. They'll work all day and never make a sound. No days off and no holidays, no complaining, no overtime. You'll even find more workers are around. Sexy little blighters, you can have a Bakashi bucket or someone take your scraps away, or doing your own's a great way to go. 
Ask Peg and friends for hints and tips and clues for happy words. They'll give you everything you need to know. Help save the world, waste ain't waste at all. Cut back on the landfill, hear the planet call. song and a plastic food <laughs> song and a clothing song and a food song and a last oh. song and a... <laughs> How wonderful. So when Peg <laughs> goes off to do her workshops Yeah, on sometimes at the of end earth. of the workshop they'll say, oh, now we've got a song. <laughs> yeah. That's always a little bit something different. That's great. So, I love it. Uh, yeah. Okay. And the other thing I do out and about is, uh, is Earthwise Community, mm. which evolved out of the stuff going on at Baggett Road, where I was based as youth worker, and with lots of stories to it, the community garden, the op shop, the music at the back, the artwork, the Thursday lunches, and we incorporated it all so that people could run their own affairs. Mm. And when I finished up, that community organisation now has a lease from the Uniting Church for the property because it's a... It's a uh, Crown Grant in trust, it's called. It's not freehold. I'm sure the church would have sold it. In the 1800s, the government granted land to families and churches here and there. Mm. Um, Hassel family got land and church got that. So it's the church's forever as long as it's used for ecclesiastical purposes. Mm. Oh, yeah. But when we first started an op shop, letter from the mayor came to me saying the op shop called Shock Treatment Trading Electrical Stuff, which you could in those days, is competing with local industry <laughs> and must be closed forthwith. What? Wow. And we found that later there was a letter had gone into government saying should the land be resumed, the council would like first option because mm. it wanted to expand its community gardens. Right. So it was hoping to breach us on the zoning so the land would be resumed. So I went to council meeting and had a big argument in question time and then we got invited to the planning committee. And the planning committee, it was called, which had formally recommended our closure Mm. to reverse their decision on breach of the zoning. So we address the issue of zoning. I say ecclesiastical purposes. Well, who defines that? Who decides what ecclesiastical purposes is? Mm. Could I suggest <laughs> two alternatives? One, local government. Now, local government, well, we've got the Salvation Army down the road leasing their car bays, and across the nation, <laughs> church halls get hired to community fitness groups and all sorts of things. Money changes hands on church premises across the nation. This could be a matter for the High Court. (laughs) Let's say that the other alternative is the Bible, sworn on in Parliament for 250 years, seen as a basis Mm. of Christian community. The Bible, is that a definition, the definer of ecclesiastical purposes? Well, what's in the Bible? 
Amos, Micah, Jeremiah, I tell them. They're called the minor prophets, but they're all about priests and Levites charging excess amounts for doves and pigeons for sacrifice, ripping off the people, causing people in poverty to be deeper in poverty. All these sorts of issues going on about justice and well-being. That's what we're on about down there at the youth centre at Bagot Road. Op shop and collects people and does good things, blah blah. So I give yeah. them, and I got no comeback to that. <laughs> but then one of them said, Oh, but what about uh, bylaw, blah blah blah? And the property chap who was very the opposite of Daggy George, he was very well dressed with his hands clasped together in a nice suit and his shiny shoes feet together. He opened his mouth and said, if you're referring to legislation such and such of 19 such and such, modified in such and such and amended in section blah, blah, and he gave a panoramic survey of the relationship of state government to local government and absolutely floored them and they had no comeback. And so the deputy mayor comes down a fortnight later and suggest a compromise because we'd be getting stuff in the Subiaco Post newspaper and <laughs> lots of fuss. <laughs> we need a compromise. <laughs> so That's great. I have this uh, local government becomes cooperative. So if the church takes down the fence that's along the footpath, the, the, the local government will change this big, boring asphalt car park into grass and put a new car park at the back, take the outbuildings down behind the house, the council will build a new garage and reticulate the ground. Wow! So we start a partnership, which has continued. Great. Uh, with, so that was you know, opposition from local government. as We fought them and we won. <laughs> <laughs> so Earthwise is a fantastic thing. There's... All sorts of people. There's a couple of medicos who work in the kitchen doing lunch on Thursdays. Highly qualified people cooking dishes and doing stuff. Yeah. Who are the and lunches for? Huh? Who are the lunches for? Whoever wants to come. So oh. we have between 35 and 55 people gone down a bit with COVID, starting to build up again. That's nice. Uh, and the garden Fridays workshop morning to maintain gardens so a bunch of volunteers turn up and do all sorts of things with the uh, worm farms and the compost bays and tending the plants and reticulation and adjustments to solar and all sorts of things or artwork you know um oh what's the name of the anyway um but there are people that are some in wheelchair not many some Others with mental health issues, others that are some street living, others that are wealthy and well together, but their family is overseas somewhere Mm. and they're an isolate in this town. So it's a whole diversity of people where isolation becomes connection and there's just lots of interaction. And the diversity means you can be anything. You could come in with three heads upside down in a wheelchair singing (laughs) waltzing Matilda backwards, and someone says, oh, good day, what's your name? Fred, good day, Fred. Wouldn't turn a hair, you know? That's amazing. It's not not all uh, bowlers. It's not all uh, something or other hobby. It's it's a diversity. Mm. So you can be anybody and anything. Mm. And you fit in as well as anyone else does. 
So that's that's a pretty interesting yeah. dynamic too. So really I good. very beautiful. Yeah. I spend yeah. a fair bit of time with the Earthwise stuff. I sing you know, folk and blues music on Thursday afternoons after the lunch and uh, so on. And then the other area, the third zone, I've got 150 archive boxes of youth work files with all sorts of documents that I'm sure no one else has kept that shouldn't be lost forever and I want to collect it together. Mm. And the other thing is me. I've written autobiography up to when I left New South Wales in the first 40 years but I haven't done, I've got started on the second 40 years, so <laughs> writing the memoirs, not so much about George, but about the travel yeah. and yeah. what you run into and the dynamics and the struggle. Yeah. It's sort of a personal sociological exploration and so on. That's the drift of the book that I want to finish. So, well, what do I do with my spare time? <laughs> Zones one, two, and three keep me busy. Wow. That's so cool. I really hope you finish that book because I tell me as soon as you finish it, I'd love to read it. Yeah. Publishing is, is quite a task. Mm. So, I've got to live long enough at 84 to do it. <laughs> Thank you. Retirement you doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always doing something. Well, we'd love to ask you um some general yep. general questions. Yeah. yeah. So, so cool. what um in your vast experience and, and adventures to help someone find their way and find find their experience in life, what would you give to them as a piece of advice? I don't know. You've got to follow your knowledge and impulse at the time, but regard it as a journey because I was interested in the farming, so I thought I'd do ag science or yeah. vet science. And then, yeah, I'm on teacher scholarship. Well, I'll do the teaching, but then you keep thinking. So this teaching has got issues. I want to get closer to this part, not that part. So I'll move over there. Well, believe in yourself. Mm. And hopefully have some relationship with other people who believe in you. So you can say, I'm thinking about, what do you think? And I'm running into this and it's not that easy. This part is a bit tricky. What do you reckon? Persons to whom you can say, what do you reckon? This is where my head's at. Mm. And this is where my hope is at. And get the feedback and the affirmation and then... Go for it. Go for it. Because we're told, aren't we, that most of the jobs of the future haven't been thought of yet. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We've got an That's economic right. problem of what you do to survive while you're working out what to do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do something practical that you can do to survive, but keep keep dreaming and exploring. Mm. Um, last quick question before you stop. Um, I can probably gather what your answer is going to be based on what you've told us, but at 84 years of age, what is the most important lesson you've learned? Oh, love really matters. 
My mother sticks in the head. She lived through two world wars and the Depression, and she was a rock the whole time. But she had, she had guts. She loved life. She was hairdressing. She came here. She lived in and helped with young people. She never criticised what we were doing. She came from middle-class background and she'd be beside a nuna who tore the leg off a wooden chair and was going to bash the other kids with it. And she walks up to him and says, what silly nonsense. He'd never had a old woman say to him, what silly nonsense right in his face as he, <laughs> yeah. he dropped a stick and stopped doing it. <laughs> uh, courage to, or to, do, to do the loving, to be patient, to listen and learn and then um, be supportive of people around you mm. and share life, share life mm. with other people. Yeah. yeah. And believe in yourself, not because you've made yourself, but because we are all made be by God or by some atheistic cosmos process. We are made as amazing individuals, each and every one of us. Believe that. Mm. Explore it. And live it out in company, in relationship, in association with others. Respect others deeply and be respected deeply and do life together. Well, thank you so much. Yes. George, we've loved listening to you speak. Mm. It's Quite been amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. been really amazing. I've loved I've loved these conversations. Oh, it's um, amazing having this process that you turn up and <laughs> have the chat. No, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you. We love, honestly, I can't stop saying it, like <laughs> everything that you stand for, all the work that you've done and you're continuing to do, I think it's really amazing. Thank you so much. Right. Thanks, it's George. been wonderful. Thanks for your time.